You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in Rose City to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast and Happy New Year. Uh, it's a little bit late into January for me to be telling people Happy New Year, but it is our first podcast of the year, so. It is. What is the expiration date on Happy New Year? I feel like it's got to be like the third or the fourth. Yeah, well, it depends on when you see people. You know, like this is our this is our first time seeing, theoretically, you know, the... Uh, the, the p- fine people that are listening to our podcast. So I, I guess this is somewhat acceptable, but yeah, with the caveat that this is far too late into the month of January to be saying Happy New Year. So if you have like an acquaintance and you see them for the first time in any calendar year in like June, are you like, hey, Happy New Year? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen you since 2022. How you doing, bud? Like seven months later. Um, that would be an interesting choice. I, I think that it expires. I think you got a week. Two, I, think, like, I think it's like yeah, a week. Yeah. yeah, a week or two, maybe. Two if you know you're going to see that person on a regular basis beyond that one yeah. uh, interaction. Um, so today is Thursday, January 12th. It is NWSL draft day. Draft day, Johnny Manziel. Five years later, how am I the man still? <laughs> That's Drizzy Drake for you on this Thursday morning. That's uh, <laughs> quality stuff. Really, really kicking off the new year right. <laughs> um, so the the Thorns have several picks uh, in this draft, uh, beginning with the number five pick, which they acquired as a result of trading Yasmin Ryan uh, in uh, the three, but now four team, I guess, deal uh, that landed Yasmin in Gotham. Uh, gave the Thorns about 200 G's worth of allocation money, plus uh, this year's number five pick in a in a natural draft pick in 2024. Um, you know, good deal, I think, starting with the Yasmin Ryan trade before we get into some more uh, draft-focused items. I, I think a good trade for the Thorns because, you know, that allocation money is extremely valuable um, for them. And, and, you know, it's hard to lose a player like Yasmin Ryan, but you have to think about um, how this roster is going to be constructed this season, particularly when Lindsey Horan likely comes back in the summer. I, I think that it's very easy to, you know, when you think about the fact that 10 of the 11 starters from the Thorns championship team are coming back, Yasmin being the 11th, um, slotting a player like Lindsey Horan, who's an all-world talent into that spot or another spot with moving and shifting players to different positions um, is massive. I mean, it's going to 
if she does return from her loan this summer, it's an upgrade. You know, Yasmin Ryan is a promising young player. It's a word in this town. It it is. But, uh, you know, Yasmin is is a great young player, and I think that she'll blossom into stardom for Gotham. I think she'll be one of the featured players for them. Um, It just would have been much harder for her to do that in Portland. Uh, So I think it's mutually beneficial, essentially, even even though, you know, you like to, to keep the talent you draft um, th- this is the right move for for this Thorns team as they approach this draft. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what Ryan does in uh, in an environment in which she's is going to be a, a featured a bit more than she was here in Portland for the Thorns last year. I, I thought she had a really quality year as a quality sort of role player uh, for the Thorns. She was sort of a part time starter, part time bench player, uh, and and I think she had a an overall good year, good second year in the league. Uh, certainly established herself as a as a pretty legitimate NWSL player. I don't know if she's you know sort of a star, uh, you know, sort of a top three starter on a good team, uh, or if she's going to be the the kind of player who's going to have a good long career as uh, as and you know in sort of the kinds of roles that she filled for Portland last year. And I think moving to Gotham gives her a little bit more of an opportunity to explore that upside. But because of the role that she filled with the Thorns last year, and, and realistically, uh, aside from the World Cup break in which the Thorns and everybody else are going to be without their national team players, in which she would have featured quite a bit, other than that, she probably looked to fill a pretty similar role with the 2023 Thorns team with the, as, as she did with 2022 team. And I think trading that kind of player for the kind of return that the Thorns got, the number five pick and $200,000 in allocation money, which is a lot of allocation money in a, in NWSL, uh, is is no-brainer value for for the Thorns. Uh, and and it, it gives them that cap flexibility going forward to do something like add a Lindsey Horan back into the roster uh, midseason. And so I, I think that's no-brainer value. Frankly, I mean, she... This is all kind of a little bit of a spider web of a trade uh, that was largely centered around uh, landing LAFC, the number one pick, to select Alyssa Thompson. Uh, Angel City. Angel- LAFC. Well, it's 8.30 in the morning, just, just to be clear. <laughs> it's uh, okay. They play in the same stadium. They're they pretty do. directly associated. A- Angel it's, City. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, allowing Angel City to to land the, the, the number one pick for Alyssa Thompson, whom barring an absolute shock they will draft later today. Uh, and, you know, when I saw the the trade, frankly, you know, the Thorns were sort of a third out of four teams in this web of, of, of trades. Uh, I think, and, and you see this quite a bit, both in, uh, in, in some other sports, especially in the NBA and MLB. I, I, th- I think you can sort of say that the Thorns really extracted themselves a nice facilitator's fee that they sort of helped facilitate this trade that had kind of this other thing as the centerpiece. And in doing so, the Thorns got some really good value, probably better value than if they just tried to trade Yasmin Ryan straight up. And 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 so good job. That's, that's good GM work uh, from Karina LeBlanc uh, and her team. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, now they have to go make sure they draft well and they have to go make sure they use that allocation money. Well, although that might be kind of obvious. Uh, and, uh, and if they do that, then I think they're going to realize really good value out of this trade. Even if Ryan goes on to do very well, uh, in Gotham, because I'm just not sure that that upside, at least immediately was here for her in, in Portland. So, 
you know, it, it's it's a borderline a a cliche in soccer circles to say that this looks like a win-win trade. Everybody always says it's a win-win trade. This actually, I think, does look like a, a trade that makes sense uh, for everybody, maybe even with the Thorns getting a little bit of an overpay to make this work. Definitely. And, and you know, one of the big returns of that trade is that number five pick. Um, given the quality of a lot of the players in this class, particularly, I think, at defensive positions, uh, that number five pick could potentially, on an extremely deep team, be an immediate contributor for the Thorns, which is for sure. hard to believe given the fact that they are the deepest team, I think, in NWSL still. You know, Kansas City is is absolutely climbing that ladder, if not surpassing Portland in that regard with all the signings that they have made. Huge um, offseason. Huge offseason for the current, um, you know, landing Dabinia and several other major contributors, uh, you know, locking up some of their own players for extensions. I mean, perfect, you know, bat in a thousand type of offseason. They're, they're going to be really Kansas good next City. year. It would yeah, be really hard for them not to be really good next year. Yeah. And if if these two teams, if if the Thorns and KC see each other again in the, the final next year, uh, it ain't going to it ain't going to be the same game. It ain't going to be pure domination to zero uh, in the way that it was for the thorns this year. They, they it, it's one of those things where they, they upgraded their roster, not so much to, to meet the thorns on the field, but it is essentially what they're doing, right? I mean, it's, it's to, to bring themselves up to that level. Now, granted Casey was missing a number of players in that final that would have helped. But even then, like, you know, the additions that they have made um, put them in that in that upper echelon. Yeah, they were a, a, a modestly talented team last year that punched above their weight. There ain't no modestly talented on that, on that team anymore. They have brought in a ton of talent. Uh, and if they similarly punch above their weight, I mean, they're going to be as good as anybody in the league. But that's a big question, of course, when you integrate as many new pieces as, as they have, uh, whether they're going to to have sort of the, the the same cohesion that they had in 2022. So that's that's the question for Kansas City. But on paper, that's looking like a very different and much improved team. Uh, you know, but in, in, in terms of uh, of the Thorns, oh, one funny note about the trade. The first thing I saw about the trade was Angel City announcing that they had traded Yasmin Ryan. <laughs> And I, and I was just like, what? Wait, when Wait was she minute. on Angel City? <laughs> Wait, hold on. I have questions. And those questions were subsequently answered. But the first thing I saw was Angel City trades Yasmin Ryan uh, for the number one pick. And I was just like, there's more to this story. <laughs> if, if Angel City found a way to trade a Portland Thorns player so that they could get the number one pick, that would be good GM work. If you can yeah. find a way to trade somebody else's players and you get stuff. That's like that's as good well, as it gets. I mean, that is essentially what they did. So yes. good, good for them. But yes, that's a funny uh, bit of confusion at that moment. You know, returning though to to the number five pick, obviously, um, the Thorns have very little in the way of needs given given the nature of their roster. But it would be short sighted to think that they are not entering this draft seeking to to make tangible improvements and to build for the future, right? There's a lot of veteran players on this team. There's a lot of aging players that are towards the end of their professional careers. Um, particularly, I think on the back line, you know, you, you look at players like Becky Sauerbrunn, who's an all time great uh, for us women's national team and for the thorns. 
um, a player like Megan Klingenberg uh, as as a fullback. I mean, you you think about those two spots as the ones where you would want to shore it up. Um, you know, there are a handful of players on the roster and and who whose contracts are in limbo right now. You think about Tegan McGrady uh, and others that can potentially fill those spots. But if you have this number five pick, um, I, I think that seeking a player at one of those defensive positions uh, should be your first and foremost priority. Uh, you know, I, I wrote a preview for the NWSL draft wherein I, I kind of identified a few of the potential targets. And, and the top one for me is Emily Madrill from Florida state. She, um, you know, she has a little bit of injury history with back-to-back ACL tears in 2018 and 19, but it has not affected her in any way the last couple of years. Left Florida State early uh, to to play some professional uh, professional ball over uh, with a, with a team in Sweden, and and regarded really as somebody who's NWS already as a center back, somebody that is versatile, athletic. Um, supremely talented on a Florida state team that was stacked, uh, at the, at the NCAA level. I mean, that's a plug and play type of person. If for some reason you think of her as an outside back and, and you want to, you know, either move cling into a bench role or cling potentially retires or, or you want to switch it up and, and give her some rest throughout the season or, um, you know, center back, she, she's, a very easy answer to the question, what happens after Becky Sauerbrunn? And and Kelly Hubley, I, I think, is locked in there, um, particularly given her durability, but also just the consistency that she provides. So, so I don't think you would draft anybody that might challenge her at that position. The question is really, um, who's the heir to the, to the throne uh, along the back line uh, between those two veterans? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a reason why her name has been probably connected with the thorns and sort of folks speculating about the draft probably as, as much as any other. Uh, and so I, I, I think that it, that is all perfectly sensible. And if that's how it works out for the thorns, I think everybody would kind of nod their head and say, yeah, all right, that certainly makes sense. I just want to note, as I do seemingly when we talk about every draft, uh, that, you know, the NWSL draft is usually a little bit deeper, uh, I think largely because uh, of the success of women's college soccer and the few teams in NWSL uh, than the MLS draft is. But I think it, it it remains true that there is more danger in overthinking the draft than in underthinking it. Uh, and if your approach is, you know, we are looking for this exact profile in the draft, you're in real danger of overthinking it. Take the best player who's available when your number comes up. I mean, it, it, it in these drafts, they're just not deep enough to, I think, really have all that much more sophisticated thinking about them. Assess the players, figure out who's good, take the best player who's available when your number comes up. Yeah, I mean, this is a Thorns team that's that's stacked at a lot of the attacking positions, but if you have an opportunity to draft a forward that's like a potential perennial like league MVP candidate and goal scorer, even though you have Sophia Smith, even though you have Morgan Weaver and others, you do it. You know, you, you do. I, I do think you take best player available. And, and you know, the, the quintessential example of this is on the roster. Sam Coffey was a not a defensive midfielder <laughs> when they drafted her. Uh, and what they drafted her. I can't remember the number. It wasn't high second round. If I'm remembering right last year, uh, 
she was just the best player available. And it's not that they were thinking of her in any particular profile. She was just the best player left on the board when when their number came up. In the second round, they took Sam Coffey and they had and they ended up getting a player who fit into maybe a different role than they were imagining, but who fit extremely well into a role. And but for the existence and excellence of Naomi Girma in basically any other year would have been rookie of the year. So take the best player available when when your number number comes up is is, is what the Thorns should do. It wouldn't surprise me if it's still Madrill, uh if she's there when when their number comes up. Um, but uh, but but you know I I think people do get too focused in their mock drafts and that kind of stuff on drafting players for very specific roles, and and I think there's danger in that. I I always come back to. Uh, I think I probably came back to this example a few weeks ago when we talked about the MLS draft, uh, but watching Christian Roldan just slide down the draft uh, <laughs> when, when when he was up, uh, it was just absolute nonsense. And it's because you had a bunch of GMs who were overthinking the draft. Yeah. And so maybe the Thorns can potentially benefit from such a slide because they also have the number 12 pick and, you know, um, a player they could take at five, but might even drop to 12 is Raina Reyes from Alabama. Uh, she's a defensive player that played more of a fullback spot, but um, can be a winger too. can can move up into the midfield um, into an attacking role. Even it, she's she's versatile. Um, I've seen a lot of people talk about her as well as a potential pick. Uh, that's somebody who has uh, contributed on the, the Mexican women's national team, uh, has a chance to potentially make their World Cup roster, but she's young, so we'll see. Um, and then another is Jailisa Harris. I'm hoping pr- not pronouncing her first name right. Uh, defender from South Carolina. That's another one I, I was looking at as a, as a potential option. Probably with the 12th pick, I, I can't imagine that um, she wouldn't be available given some of the other prospects at her same position, but um, just in terms of, you know, defenders, players that, that fit that profile, that's who I had my eye on. There are obviously a great deal of, you know, hidden gems, a great deal of talented players at positions the Thorns are already way, way deep at. Um, but, you know, your, your approach, I think, is the right one and one I think that Karina LeBlanc will embrace because she has proven that she's willing to do it in the past, you'd look at players like Sam Coffey as, as examples. And frankly, it's especially true in NWSL because you have so many games that you have to cover with depth, either because the league has a good number of midweek games and you need to rotate players or because most years there is a, a significant chunk of the season in which national team players are gone, whether it's for the Olympics or the World Cup as it is this year or all of the various things that come up uh, w- with as intrusive as the women's nas- international game is on their domestic leagues. Uh, but, you know, it is just true and it is just a, a, a fact of life in NWSL that in almost every season you have to cover to cover a decent number of games without, you know, some really key contributors who are on national teams. And so there are more opportunities in NWSL for even somebody who doesn't have an obvious positional fit in the starting 11 to nonetheless play significant minutes, to nonetheless make a significant impact on a team. Uh, and, and and so, you know, I, I, I really think uh, that that BPA, best player available, is is just the the, the North Star uh, of drafting an NWSL. Big news this week for the Thorns. They found uh, the replacement for Rian Wilkinson, uh, and it 
turned out he was just right down the hall. Uh, Mike Norris was hired uh, as the new head coach, 43-year-old Englishman from Newcastle, spent a lot of time in Vancouver uh, coaching youth up there, and then obviously had plenty of experience with the Canada women's national team where he helped them uh, in their gold medal run uh, at the Tokyo Olympics in 2021. Um, Stability is the word that, that came to mind when you and I were discussing this. And then, you know, it ended up being the the major talking point when Karina LeBlanc and, uh, and Mike both spoke to the media afterwards. This is a scenario with this Thorns team where they have been through a tremendous amount of off-field distraction and overcome that in order to be the reigning champions in the NWSL, which is an unbelievably impressive achievement, but they need this stability they need a person that can maintain the the approach to the game that that they had under Rian Wilkinson that led to a championship and they they need someone and the thorns are hoping that this person is Mike Norris that can maintain some level of stability off field to 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 kind of keep the ship afloat even if there are some pretty choppy waves yeah I think the logic of the hire is very clear even if it's not necessarily, you know, it doesn't necessarily raise the heart rate. Uh, the logic is very clear. And it's the same logic that they've employed in basically re-signing everybody they can re-sign. Uh, the, the Thorns can re-sign from last year. They had a, a very well-coached team. And Mike Norris was obviously a big part of that. Uh, he clearly has the respect of a lot of people in the locker room. I think that was made very clear. Uh, in social media statements and 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 other statements from players uh, after uh, his hiring was announced, uh, and so you know I I think this is this was the path of least resistance for the Thorns, even though Mike Norris is not a big name. Uh, Meg Linehan and and Steph Young were were joking about this uh, sort of in their podcast immediately after uh, uh, after the, his hiring that like there were even like some Canadian journalists being like, hey, congratulations on getting the job. Who are you? Oh, <laughs> and, and, you know, he's, he's not a big name, uh, but that's, you know, that, that, that is, that it is certainly not an indictment of, of the decision. Uh, I think Rian Wilkinson was a bigger name when she was hired, but I don't think anybody was talking about how Rian Wilkinson was, was the sort of premier name on the, on the, the club coaching market at the time that the Thorns made that hire. Oh, I think she she was more respected in Canada uh, than her name was bandied about in 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 the U.S. Uh, and the Thorns never nevertheless made that higher. And and they brought in Mike, who who uh, knows Wilkinson well, having having worked in Canadian soccer circles as well. And they put together a great team. And so I think it's it's not surprising uh, that with Wilkinson stepping away, that he was sort of the easiest logical choice uh, to to take up the the mantle for 2023. I think there is a larger discussion though to be had about the I mean I, I think frankly you could have this discussion on the timber side too maybe we will in just a few minutes. Um but the the fact that 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 this appears to have been the choice does give rise to I think reasonable concerns about how attractive the Thorns coaching job is with the club in its current state, with all of the instability and uncertainty uh, and a controversy uh, around the club 
you know, is over the course of the last couple of years and, and instability certainly going forward into the future. For a lot of reasons, the Thorns job should be the the best, if not among the very best domestic women's soccer coaching jobs in the United States, in the world, right? Oh, and this kind of a hire, we don't know sort of all of the behind the scenes and all the details of who was considered and who was interviewed, but this is not the kind of a hire that screams, wow, we had an insane field of candidates. We had all these external folks who were, who were climbing over each other to get the job. And we decided that Norris is, is, is even notwithstanding that incredible group of candidates, the way to go. It it doesn't for the record. No, it doesn't. And, and, you know, for the, the record, Karina addressed this a little bit in her in her portion of the press conference. She did say that the Thorns went back to the other candidates that they had back uh, during the Wilkinson hiring process, spoke to them, but ultimately landed on on Norris and and an additional layer to it in terms of the the rationalization, the you know, the why of it was it's it's my understanding just based on private conversations with people around the club that Norris was a big part of the tactical approach for, for this team, not taking obviously anything away from Rian Wilkinson uh, or ascribing their success to him rather than her. That's, that's not the case. She was in charge fully and completely, but you know, much of their tactical approach, which ended up really working out um, given the personnel that they had was, was from Mike and, if and if you watch Thorne's games and, and Karina pointed this out too during the presser last year, you can see him. It's hard to miss him. He's a big guy, but you know you can see him uh, up on the touchline screaming every single game. The the guy has been very much a vocal, involved voice in in this team for the last year. And and on the subject of you know the players' tweets, I think it's good that they are voicing their support for him. I I think that it's genuine on the part of all of them, but people online were a little skeptical of the fact that the tweets were worded very similarly. (laughs) Uh, They, they all had little rose emojis pretty much. They all said kind of a, a variation of great player, great person. So people worry about, you know, Maybe that's just the take, though. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I guess I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical, especially in 2023, and especially with as much influence as the players in NWSL and, and in the Thorns locker room have wielded over the course of the last couple of years. I'm a little bit skeptical that they would be quite that pushable <laughs> to, to yes. basically issue the same statement. I, I mean, it, it might just be that that is how he's viewed. That he's a good coach and a good person. And and, and if that's the take, then great. If that's one player seeing somebody else say that and then being like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I believe. And they just cascade from there, then 100 percent. And I and that could very well be the case. It's just, you know, some fans were a little um, little skeptical. And, and, you know, given some of the uh, stuff that's happened in the last year, to say the least, um, that skepticism is definitely warranted. But obviously, yes, I I believe in it being fully and completely genuine. I know these players, they they would not come out and put their names to something that they did not think was was true because they, why? 
after all this, why, you know, why even, you know, go to bat when, when the, right. pe- the people who are at fault in a lot of these situations are more or less going to be completely divested from you, uh, in, in the coming months. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's only fair to point out, uh, fans have had smoke blown up their tuchuses from any number of directions and from any number of people. Uh, in NWSL and MLS over the course of the last over the course of the last couple of years, the players have never been the smoke blowers, uh, and 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 I I you know I just don't see any reason to think that they would, that they would start now that this would be the moment when 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 uh, the players would would start sort of engaging in that kind of stuff. So I do believe uh, I have no reason not to believe. Uh, that their expressions of support for Norris are genuine, and frankly, I, I take heart in it. That's that's good to hear, uh, and uh, and and I think it. I think that that is part of what makes the rationale for hiring Norris, even though he's not a big name, pretty clear. Uh, but that nonetheless doesn't doesn't completely dispel uh, some concerns in the back of my mind about whether the Thorns job is as attractive to external candidates as it should be. For sure, and we'll see how that potentially changes, and after you know, a change of ownership, um, you know, how, how a different scenario may impact the attractiveness of that job. If it is indeed a job that people are a little wary about, you know, top candidates might be wary about. Um, and, and frankly, I, I think that Karina believes in, in Mike for the long term, but you know, there's always a possibility that he's kind of a short term holdover for somebody that, you know, they they might want a bigger candidate and keep him on staff in the future, but it, it would be hard. It would be hard to for, see that. Hard but to see know, that happening, as we well know. Uh, no, uh, probably better than we would like. Uh, good coaches, even good coaches, don't always stay around for <laughs> for for the longest time. So, uh, you know, I, I I think that that's what it is. I I think you know, as I said, I I think the the logic here is pretty clear. Uh, and if what you want to see in two thousand twenty three is a pretty close approximation of what the thorns were in 2022. And I don't know why you would not want to see that because the thorns in 2022 are really, really good. Uh, then I, I think this is a, a, a hire that, that shouldn't ruffle too many feathers. Yeah. And we will make sure to get Mike on the podcast as soon as possible to, to, to get to know him more as a person. In addition to obviously his coaching creds, um, he, he talked a little bit about himself in the presser. he, he loves to eat. Uh, he's a foodie, according to Karina LeBlanc. But he he was a bit effusive on his his food, food foodiness. Food in Portland. Uh, it, oh yeah, segments with with Mike on the podcast. You think? I'm all in on that. I any opportunity I have to talk about restaurants or places to eat or food uh, on on this podcast, I will take it. And if it's with Mike. Um, I'm all in, but he also loves his, uh, his bicycle. You know, he's, he's got the Bill Walton vibes with, uh, the, I love my bike kind of deal. He, he, uh, he's, he's an interesting guy. He's, he's kind of just your, um, you know, soft spoken, you know, head down forward thinking type of type of dude, but, um, definitely has some layers that, that we, we would love to peel back on this podcast. So, uh, Love to have Mike on in in the near future. And there, another... there was one other bit of thorns thorns news this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we I nervous, was gonna potentially nervous laughter. <laughs> was was gonna maybe save this for the end, but I, I think since we're still on the thorns subject, you're right. We should we should 
hit this uh, before we move on to, to the hiring of Ned Grabavoy as Timbers GM. Um, the Thorns were fined $1 million from the NWSL uh, in its announcement of you know the consequences that came out of the NWSL PA investigation. Um, that framing was interesting because Merritt Paulson had previously committed uh, a $1 million donation for the establishment of a player safety department at the NWSL. Uh, and that money was then redirected to the fine pot in that instead of being a donation, as was originally announced, the million dollars is just going to be a fine, but they're not really going to call it a fine. They're going to call it a redirection. And for a lot of people in the Portland soccer community who obviously possess the skepticism we talked about, that didn't exactly pass the smell test in terms of not only the amount that Merritt Paulson paid, but that it was a uh, framed as a redirection of money that he had already committed. Uh, and they see it as an example of the league kind of going to bat for somebody that they should be coming down harder on in the view of the people in the Portland soccer community. And really in, in the view of NWSL fans at large, I think that, you know, the Chicago Red Stars paying $1.5 million um, is probably the number that people think of when they would think of what would happen with the Thorns and, and that they would be in a scenario where they have this money redirected, that it's framed in this certain way, um, didn't sit right with some people. Obviously, there have been extensive apologies posted by Merritt Paulson. He has made the decision to sell the team. Um but inherently the skepticism still exists. And the skepticism I think is something that NWSL and whoever was involved in this decision uh, just walked into on this particular piece. Uh, I think, you know, it was, it was sort of a full menu. Uh, speaking of food made in Portland, it was a full menu of sanctions. Uh, you, you had all, all kinds of things, big and small. You had a bunch of people who were banned permanently uh, from ever coaching in the league again for very good reason, fairly well, especially fairly well, Paul Riley, who decided to speak to the media and was an idiot that, yeah, he, you know, it's fairly it's, well, Paul Riley. Yeah. It's cancel uh, culture's fault that yeah. Paul Riley is no longer coaching. Well, not, you've been canceled. Yeah. So next, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, good riddance, uh, Christy Holly, good riddance, Richie Burke, uh, you, you know, yeah, I mean the, those those were sort of slam dunks, and and I I think nobody was surprised, uh, and I think nobody serious would have any problem with any of that. Uh, and you know, I mean, they, they sort of ran the gamut from from folks who uh, were permanently banned to were were you know sort of required to jump through certain hoops if they ever wanted to work in NWSL again, to uh to to some who are permitted. Uh, to to work in NWSL again, uh, and then with the organizational sanctions, it was a bit of a mess. <laughs> uh, the whole organizational sanction section, uh, you know, what I, what I don't what doesn't get me riled up is the the number, uh, the number. If you just sort of just take it at face value for the thorns, 
and you know, I'm not fired up. I frankly just don't really care about the difference between a $1 million fine and a $1.5 million fine. I don't really care. Um, if you sort of take it on its face without sort of peeling back the layers, <laughs> since we're on onion metaphors now, food made in Portland. <laughs> uh, so when, 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 you know, if you take it on its face, it's, it's the second most significant sanction in NWSL history. Uh, and it's only surpassed by the sanction issued to the Red Stars at the same time. Uh, and th- the third most significant sanction in NWSL history is a long ways in the rearview mirror. It is, those are one and two and three isn't even in the conversation with them. Three was $200,000 for Rossing Louisville. Was it, was it? Yes. Them? Yes. Okay. Rossing uh, Louisville. Uh, and uh, yeah. So, you know, I, 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 if you take it at face value, that's, that is extremely significant. And it's fairly opaque what role the previously announced decision to sell the team played in the sanction. Uh, I don't think there was a lot of transparency about that. It was mentioned in in the, the email, the press release, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the role that it played was was not clear. <laughs> the... The pro- I mean, the, the thing that, and this kind of gets back to, there's been a lot of the, the sort of feeling among fans over the course of the last couple of years of repeatedly having people involved in the league and in clubs and, uh, and in U.S. soccer, fans kind of feeling like those folks were tinkling on their leg and telling them it's raining. And this kind of feels like that again to be honest. And I I don't know how much NWSL really cared about providing sort of fan closure or some degree of clarity or anything like that, but they certainly didn't with this Portland sanction. Because at the same time that you take it at face value, that if you take it at face value, it is by far the second most significant sanction ever issued by NWSL to any club. It is also seen from a different perspective, no sanction at all. Because the Thorns had, and, and, and Mary Paulson had previously announced that he was doing all of that willingly, voluntarily. And so in that respect, to the extent that a sanction is making somebody do something that they otherwise would not do as a form of punishment for doing something wrong in the past, this is no sanction at all. And that's why I think you, you get this feeling from, from fans, and I, I think it's, it's a well-warranted feeling of somebody tinkling on their leg and telling them it's raining. Because for a month, the the understanding was that this million-dollar donation was a, ostensibly sort of a parting, you know, gift mea culpa kind of, I want to improve the league uh, as, as part of, uh, you know, Paulson stepping away uh, from, from being an owner in the league kind of thing. And now is it different? I don't know. <laughs> Some some people tell me it's different. Other people tell me it's not. And and I, I what the heck is going on? Yeah, and you know so, something that I heard from from uh, some of the fans that I talked to, some of the the people um, who were understandably frustrated by this um, was that like so many instances in the past, in their view, 
it comes right up to the point of doing the right thing without doing it. And then there's some further explanation, some rationalization that says, oh, well, actually, this is the right thing. And but was there even that in this instance? And I mean, no, I, I don't really feel wasn't. like NWSL explained why this was appropriate. They just said, oh, and we're doing this and, and we're counting the, the donation as the fine. Uh, why? <laughs> why? Yeah, it's um, it's not something that has fostered a, a t- great deal of additional trust or closure. And like you said, who knows if that was even really the intent uh, with this. One would hope that that would be the intent, given that, you know, the league, I'm sure, and its clubs and the stakeholders within those clubs very much want to move on from all of this and focus on things that are not systemic abuse and cover-ups and scandal. They would like to to have other things be talked about, not only for, you know, their own personal stress levels and job securities, but for financial reasons i mean they the, it's it's not a good look for the investors in this league for there to just be this cloud hanging over everything all the time and for the average person for for normal people that are not owners of sports teams that who cares nobody cares about that they just want their values reflected in the sports teams that they that they follow and they want to follow those sports teams and have fun with it that's it um but it it feels in the view of a lot of the fans uh in this community and in others like a like a misstep like a just just missing the point type of scenario yeah and you know i mean it, maybe 1 million dollars with the sale of the team is a completely appropriate sanction for this for for everything that's happened and, and is a completely appropriate outcome i mean i i i think People could debate that, and I think there are reasonable arguments for as to why that may or may not be completely appropriate. But doing this the way it has been done, in sort of having it announced first as a donation, and then having it announced as being redirected as a fine, just feels so disingenuous. And 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 it's not. I and I guess to be clear, I don't even know who's being disingenuous here. Uh, I who it could be the league, it could be Paulson. I have no idea who the who's being disingenuous. Who the who the you know proverbial tinkler on the leg is. I have no idea. Oh, but 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 it it does as you're a fan feel just really disingenuous. Uh, and I I I think that. Even if that the sort of the the monetary terms uh, of the outcome are reasonable and are appropriate, it still leaves a, a bad taste, I think, in in your mouth looking at it because it just doesn't feel right. Shifting to the Portland Timbers, <laughs> not a lot of news out, out of uh, I could not have had a less good segue. <laughs> That was <laughs> tremendous. Other than a deep breath and a... <laughs> so the next thing, um, <laughs> the the Portland Timbers uh, promoted Ned Grabovoy, a former player and longtime, well, not longtime, several year member of their front office, um, to GM uh, yesterday on Wednesday, the January 11th was the announcement. And we knew about it uh, day before myself and Tom Bogert reported that. 
uh, not Bojert, not Boger. Boger. Yeah, but <laughs> as as may have been uh, maybe said on maybe maybe Boger Tom Boger is his alter ego when he's like reporting on international moves. Yeah, but, that's what we were saying last podcast is that yeah. that sh- that should be his alias. But um, Tom was first on it. I was able to con- confirm that 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 earlier this week, and then it was announced Ned Grabavoy as GM and um, somebody who has really been filling in in that type of role since Gavin Wilkinson was fired. Uh, he got the Evander deal over the line, even if, you know, maybe a lot of the work was was done behind the scenes by by Gavin. I had heard rumblings from people in MLS circles that um, it had kind of stalled under Wilkinson and that, you know, Ned was somebody that was able to to get that deal over the line, whether that's true or not, who's to say, but something to keep in mind in terms of potential future moves and and there may be another move or two to to keep an eye on uh, as we get closer to the season. Not a lot of time left. They're heading off to Phoenix at the end of this week to to train and then eventually, you know, play a scrimmage against Sporting KC. But um, curious on your your thoughts, Chris, on on Ned being promoted to this position. He he's somebody that's regarded as one of the best number two soccer ops people in in the league. So wondering how you think this will this will work out. Uh, so a confession first, I forgot that this had not already happened. <laughs> so, so, so when this was, when this was being announced and, and, and when there were rumblings that the Timbers were hiring a GM, I was a little bit befuddled because I thought, that, I, I thought this had already happened. And then when I, when I heard what was happening, I, I, I like went back and, and was like, oh yeah, okay. I guess this hasn't happened yet. So, uh, I forgot that this hadn't already happened. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, not great work for me uh, in in that respect. Uh, but this is, I mean, I, I still don't think there was ever any indication, at least public indication, that the Timbers were going to consider external candidates for this. Uh, so this, my forgetting that this hadn't already happened, I think reflects a, just a feeling of kind of inevitability uh, with respect to, to Grabovoy taking uh, the top spot in the, the, the Timbers front office. So in that way, you know, it's sort of non-news news uh, in, in, in that regard. Uh, I think you're right. And, and it has been reflected by numerous sort of not just Portland-based folks, but, but National League folks that Grabovoy has been one of the, the folks, you know, a small handful of folks in number two spots around MLS who people have said is ready to jump up to a number one spot. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I think that just lent to that feeling of, of inevitability. Uh, and, and so here we are. Yet I feel in some respects, though, I mean, I guess I have. So, you know, again, I feel similarly with the, the, the promotion of Mike Norris, that it makes sense. The logic is very clear uh, as to why the Timbers are, are doing this. Uh, I don't think anybody would raise an eyebrow at it. But I also have a little voice in the back of my head that says, is this an interesting job? Uh, is this a job for which there's robust external competition? Uh, the Timbers would like it to be. It should be. Uh, but I don't know that it is right now. And, uh, and, and you know, I think sort of a march to the inevitable promotion of Ned Grabovoy, even if it's sort of in the end the right decision and a good decision or a, or a justifiable decision, 
I think raises a little bit of a question about that, about whether it's a job that is sought after uh, in this moment or whether Grabovoy, even if a sensible uh, selection, was also kind of a default selection. Uh, and so I, I, I think you got you to gotta consider that. Do you think that that's a, a product of, um, you know, the, the inherent feeling in sports fans of wanting a big splash hire, a big change, some, somebody like a new face, you know, everybody, I, I think of this kind of like, you know, people think about politics, right? They get sick of the, the guy that's, that's there and they're like, Oh, this new guy, he's gonna, he's gonna save the day type of, do you think it's part of that, that inherent attitude in sports fans that maybe you and others feel that way? Or do you think that it has more to do with the external factors with PTFC, the, the things that, are very real and very much could have a negative impact on the attractability of these jobs. I think both and both can be true. Uh, I, I have very little doubt that the external factors have affected the attractiveness of these prominent jobs within PTFC. I, I said attractability. I'm not even sure that's a word. But it is, it is it is absolutely absolutely uh, this podcast has tremendous attractability let me tell you <laughs> um, if attractability was a thing we would have it uh, <laughs> uh I I mean I I think both I I think there's value to institutional knowledge and I think there's value to in to having continuity uh but I also think that 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 can't always be the move because there's also value in bringing in new ideas. There's a value in bringing in a fresh perspective. Uh, and there's value in, in, in having somebody with different experiences come in, uh, and, and do some things. And they're going to have to do that to some extent because the, you know, the, (laughs) when, when you promote the number two to the number one, you need a new number two. And if you have a number three, who could become the number two? Nick Mansueto still, to my knowledge, works in the Timbers front office. Uh, then you need a new number three. Uh, and, and so, you know, they're going to have to do that to, to some extent to bring in somebody from the outside. Uh, but, you know, I mean, nonetheless, it, there is value to having new folks. I think I don't think anybody would argue a year on that bringing in Karina LeBlanc as GM of the Thorns has been anything but a positive. And that that LeBlanc's new ideas and new energy and new direction uh, have been anything but a positive. And so I th- I think there there are good reasons to want to to want the club to have good external candidates seeking jobs within the club. That's not to say that it's always the right move to go for an external candidate, uh, but you want to have that interest because you want to have those options because sometimes that is the right move. And, and and so you know this isn't necessarily a a criticism of the Grabovoy hire. As I said, I think the logic is very clear. Uh, I think it it felt inevitable for practical reasons, just because of uh, a lot of the instability within the club. But it, it, I mean, it, it what part of the reason it felt inevitable was just because that just makes a lot of sense. He is genuinely a sought after number two in the league. The Timbers very recently did just extend his contract in. And that was heavily rumored to be in part because he was attracting interest for top jobs at other clubs. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I think all of that uh, make, makes sense. And, and, and so it's not to say that, that Grabovoy is a bad hire by any means. But 
there's value to being sought after and there's value to, to, to having even in the interview process, fresh ideas. And, uh, and I think there's some concern, reasonable concern, uh, that that just may not be the case with these prominent jobs within PTFC right now. We will, uh, finish this podcast off maybe with a little food made in Portland. Um, I, ha- I would be remiss if I did not reflect on the, the culinary genius of uh, of Mr. Gregory Gourdet, who was uh, <laughs> a Top Chef contestant, Portland longtime Portland chef, who recently opened. This is not sponsored content, by the way. <laughs> recently, <laughs> recently opened uh, his his Haitian inspired restaurant Khan in Portland. I went there, somehow got a freaking reservation at that place, which is like a bloodbath on the online it's, to it's to get one. Uh, Matt and when, Taylor Swift tickets. Yes, and I got both because oh you, you I know, got one out of the two and an eight Taylor Swift tickets. Nice, nice. Um, I the Twitter fingers for me are so quick that I think that it translated to to that success. Um, <laughs> went to Con and and thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, what a what a meal, what a cultural experience. Um, there had there had been rumblings from different critics that like, oh, it's it's overrated or oh, this that or the other, and and. I just, I can't even like process the negativity. Like I just had such an amazing meal there and it was so like flavorful and spicy and varied and, you know, it was a little expensive, but you know, that it's fine dining, but like, but like not insanely expensive to be honest. Like it, like, you know, it it was, it's sort of a Michelin star quality restaurant and like there are crazy, (laughs) there are crazier, I've seen much crazier prices than, uh, than that. I all, I, I love my experience there. It was phenomenal. Um, I had sort of a, a smorgasbord, but I had, there, there was like this, this uh, amazing salad that I had. And then I, I I got like the beef short rib thing that was just otherworldly and that coffee rub. It was wild. Um, it is phenomenal. And I, I totally agree with you. My, my impression as I was sitting there having that meal was because I I had heard that there had been one or two folks who had sort of, you know, had the contrarian negative take, even though what, what was it? New York times called it the best new restaurant in the United States this year. In the United States of America. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So that's, that's not nothing. Uh, But as I was, as I was enjoying my meal there, I was, I, I was thinking a little bit about those, those contrarian takes and I was just like, bad take, bro. Bad take. Yeah. Well, also quick plug for my employer, uh, the Oregonian Oregon Live named it best new restaurant and best restaurant of the year in Portland. So go check out those uh, those articles. But uh, it, it was my 2022 uh, MOTY meal of the year. Me too. And honestly, one of the meals of my life, genuinely. And I, I've had in the last couple of years, I've had a chance to travel a bit and go to places like, you know, Barcelona, Madrid, Lisbon, Paris on, on a little European jaunt had some truly life altering meals <laughs> in those countries <laughs> as one might expect. If you're, if you're a foodie and you're in, in one of those places and you're able to, to find those spots, whether it's on TripAdvisor or some, some other, uh, some other website, um, it was legitimately awesome. And I am so happy to see a place like that exist in Portland uh, and for people to be, you know, fighting tooth and nail to get in there and supporting it. And, uh, and Gregory is just the man, you know, I, I am now finding myself uh, rediscovering his greatness on top chef <laughs> going back and watching some seasons. Uh, so it, it was, it was truly excellent. 
I, yeah, I do and, really enjoy the uh, the sort of like from a step back perspective, the food critic scene. Uh, and there was one. So uh, a food magazine re- recently rated uh, Podna's as the best barbecue in Portland, uh, which it, which sort of like sparked this reaction piece of like, is Podna's really the best barbecue in Portland? And the, and the whole point of this this piece was like, they were like, well, you know, these these kinds of national surveys of the best, you know, blankety blank restaurant in in city uh, are often like very Google driven. And then it got to the bottom and was like, but actually, Podnes is really good. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I I agree with all that. Podnes yeah, just, is really good. Yeah, it is good. Um, Matt's barbecue would be one that I would I yeah, would throw Matt's into that great. ring. Um, and then I, and, and then Eam, uh, the 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 you know just just pinnacle of. Uh, of the the meeting between Matts and and the folks behind behind Potty and Longbone, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an all star cast. Uh, great and it produces all star food. Great minds think alike. I was literally just about to start talking about Eam because I, <laughs> I went there uh, December twenty eighth is my birthday, and I, I went there uh, with some family and friends uh, for my birthday dinner, and nice. had never been there before. My God, you want to talk about spice flavor and just unbelievable food over the top. Like the the white curry with the the brisket chunks in it is probably the single best individual thing I've eaten nice. in a very long time. I mean, it, it's so it like really builds on you the spice and everything else. But like the whole vibe in there is awesome. The cocktails are great. I mean, it once again, these are not sponsored uh reviews here but yeah this I, is this I, is all bona fide myth yes 100 percent. it's legit and, and and if mike norris wants to come on and and have a nice myth section terrible terrible podcast name we got to work on that yeah uh but if he wants to come on and have a good myth segment we're we're more than happy yeah fmip does not roll off the tongue quite as much as, as smip <laughs> but uh <laughs> we we absolutely should uh should bring mike on and and Take them out to meals too. Honestly, we we could do a live pod from Eam. We could do one from from maybe not from Con. They're a little little big, nicer. Big NWSL head coach now. He can take us out. Yeah, big <laughs> big literally and figuratively. The dude is very tall, and he's he's <laughs> my favorite quote. Just to wrap things up here on the podcast from was this week was from Mike Norris. He says, "I like to eat, and I like to eat a lot, and I I've never related to." something that someone in the portland soccer world has said more than that statement no so no objection there we will wrap it up here on soccer made in portland though for chris reifer i'm ryan clark thank you for joining us feel free to follow us on twitter at soccer made in pdx subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave us a review uh, send us some food recommendations or hot takes about some of the restaurants that maybe we we discussed uh you're it's okay if you you have a negative opinion about the places that i like but just know that you're wrong that's how i feel (laughs) uh so so thanks again uh everybody for listening and we will be back at it next week thanks again